0: Alexis Dion and I'm Chelsea and we're the co-hosts of High Priority a podcast where we ask industry experts the tough questions about the past present and future of the cannabis industry hey Chelsea what's going on like what what is going on in the crazy world of cannabis so much
1: well I mean Congress announced that big bill today, um, Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act, so I've been busy all day, writing quotes.
0: Oh yeah, you do do that fun stuff as a member of the content team. Yes,
1: lots of finessing, lots of <laughs> lots of strong opinions coming from my team, but it's good. Um, it is encouraging to see the federal government actually care about this and take it seriously. Um, Mm-hmm. and like put in like these safeguards to like reinvest in impact communities and make sure that you know entrepreneurs who have been affected by the war on drugs you know are not left behind so it's very thoughtful of you know um senators Schumer and Booker and Wyden to do this but we will see how far it goes not holding my breath <laughs> once again
0: Agreed. I think it's funny because I feel like I had a conversation with somebody recently about whether or not we think federal legalization is going to happen under Biden. And I, you know, in the beginning when he was running, I thought that this was definitely going to be something that was going to occur. But as we've seen, his stance has kind of changed a bit. I mean, just hearing that he fired like some of his staffers because they used it, I in the know the That was such a weird
1: situation. And his, like, press team was like, no, actually, like, we didn't, like, really do it. It was only, it's, like, people who, like, weren't actively smoking it, like, weren't fired. I don't know. It was such a weird situation. But, yeah, I agree. He's been very, like, wishy-washy on it. Like, he won't take a stance, which does not exactly inspire confidence. But, I mean, like, Connecticut just legalized it on their own. So, I mean, like, the states are doing their own thing. Like, mhm. We're still chugging along. Um, So any day now, the federal government can get its act together.
0: Yeah, if they can get it together, right? Because it it does kind of seem like the states are outpacing the federal government, right? Like I feel like by the time the federal government says, "All right, we're gonna fully legalize this thing. We're already gonna have all of the states. I know, right? Wouldn't, that be, wouldn't right? that be crazy if like all fifty <laughs> states
1: had already done it? <laughs> but I mean, and you're just like,
0: great, thanks. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's like the federal <laughs> government for you. I feel like, I feel like that's what happened with gay marriage too. Like, every state was like, yeah, you can do it, and then like finally, the Supreme Court was like, it's legal now,
0: mm-hmm. and all the states, yeah, were like, no, are cool, writing. okay." <laughs> You're totally right about that. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be another, you know, kind of example of that. But I think it's it's so impactful, though, to hear, you know, Chuck Schumer and Cory Booker and, you know, like all the other Democrats really join together and kind of push this forward. So hopefully, I mean, it could happen under Biden, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah. So. We will see. We shall see what's next. And also, I I like looked at this documentary over the past weekend. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's on Netflix. It's called "The Grass Is Greener," and they talk about how um, jazz was basically the first kind of like music genre to really like usher in. Uh, cannabis use and how it went from jazz to eventually hip hop and I thought that was pretty cool so if anyone gets a chance to check it out you should yeah I mean I think that's why they call it like jazz cigarettes like if you're
1: like super old you know they call I honestly them, like, didn't the know that was a cigarette. term yeah it's it's like an old timey way of saying it but like definitely like there is a connection um, and I think like the link to black musicians and like you know all the racism like with anslinger Mm -hmm. and all of that um yeah jazz was a huge part of like unfortunately what eventually led to cannabis prohibition i've had conversations with a lot of our like music um you know connected clients about it too so yeah Mm -hmm. that is definitely a connection i'd love to i'd love to watch that
0: Yes, and maybe we can get somebody who was on the episode on High Priority. I feel like that would be pretty dope. Yeah. No pun intended. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) definitely.
0: (laughs) And there are also other um, really cool-ass documentaries for others who want to really kind of just know about the origin of cannabis and... Um, the war on drugs and its implications for the future. Netflix does a great job of, you know, putting all these type of documentaries together. So literally, if you just Google, or not even Google, if you go on Netflix and you just search cannabis, you're going to see various documentaries, including Weed the People, like I said, Grass is Greener. There's another one called Rotten, um, the, the Business of Drugs. Like, there's so many different documentaries for, for those who really just want to kind of understand the background of this plant. And then, of course, if you want to have fun, they have, you know, the, the food cooking shows like Cooked with Cannabis. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a few That's episodes a of
1: those. Those are fun.
0: I feel like I like i'm gonna want to become a cannabis chef after looking at that one and then i'm gonna put probably way too much weed in my my food (laughs) and kill us all you know whoever that's okay that's an
1: experience if you like don't sell it to us i think it's fine
0: (laughs) good good to know i'm gonna note that
1: i'm not a lawyer so don't don't quote me on that but don't take, don't take I your would word for it. Be more than willing to be your guinea pig. Um, I'm also like seeing on Instagram like a lot of like food companies like they're kind of like on the deal like they're private and you have to like request to follow them. But like even in New York, they're selling like infused like baked goods like infused black and white cookies, like pastries that you can like order directly through them. So it's definitely picking up. And I saw, like, an infused food event um, with, like, a Taiwanese restaurant in the East Village. Um, Nice. And they were straight up selling, like, tickets on Eventbrite. Um, So...
0: That is so a all of this is legal now. Yeah, I mean, like, like in New can York, do you can
1: just like consume it. Like I don't know, like where they're making like. So I think it's like the it's like the dishes are made like in in the kitchen of the restaurant, but I think they're drizzling like infused chili oil on top or like an infused like, gar- nice. like you know condiment. So, but it's like I don't know where they're you know making the infused it like condiments themselves. But it's really cool that you can just buy you know a ticket on event, like on Eventbrite and have a five course infused dinner if you wanted to like it's not underground anymore um so yeah we can live like californians one day in the <laughs> near future
0: yeah seriously and shout out to the matteo team in la i can't wait to go out and just have a ball with you guys like i'm i'm waiting i'm like impatiently waiting for us to have a reason to go out to la i
1: know right i want the next matio retreat to be in palm springs that'd be sick
0: Okay, let's just put it out there. Yeah, we're manifesting. Positive it, vibes, I think manifest <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, <laughs> Rosie, if you hear us. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our, our, our boss, Rosie Madio. And speaking of manifesting, mm-hmm. um, we have someone, special young lady by the name of Tamika Drew, who's going to be on today's episode, yes. who really manifested her own destiny here, right? Like she started off... Um, you know, creating her own cannabis company Mm -hmm. while working, you know, in corporate America. And then also joined forces with Hillary Yu to create uh, a nonprofit organization to help the underprivileged and, you know, the underrepresented underrepresented voices to become more acclimated in the cannabis industry with uh, the company called R Academy. So I'm super excited, what about you?
1: Yeah, totally, and I'm so glad that she agreed to come on High Priority, because like, Tamika is so accomplished, Um, but what's so interesting is that she is a social equity licensee herself, and Mm -hmm. like, I guess like on our show, we just haven't talked to too many people who have actually like, gone through that process, Like, like we read all about like, you know, they're giving out X many like licenses and like, yes, it's like Mm -hmm. a weird process and it's like super time consuming, but I thought it was really important to actually talk to someone who had been through that process, who like knows Mm -hmm. like how arduous it can be and also how rewarding it can be because she's grown Biko flower into something that's really incredible and like it's a beautiful product. Um, And she just, you know, is such a like, I guess just also such a vocal advocate on top of running a business. Like she also like, yes, like like you said, it. she works for like on the corporate side of Ease. Like she's so involved and I'm just so glad that she was so generous with her time to talk with us about her experience.
0: Yes, I'm really excited to have, you know, a woman of color on here. To just talk about the experience being a woman of color in this industry and the different barriers that you have to go through right to, to make it to a certain level and I'm also really intrigued to ask her about um, the inspiration behind the name Biko because I thought that was such a cool name so yeah if, if you're ready I'm ready to interview. Tonight. I'm ready I'm so excited let's get started. Welcome to
1: Mika. So you've had an incredible career so far in the industry. You've started your own brand as a social equity licensee. Uh, you founded a mentorship nonprofit program and um, you helped launch an equity focused fund. So you're clearly very involved in the space. Uh, for, our in- for our listeners who aren't as familiar with your story, can you give us a brief overview of your background and how you got started in cannabis?
2: Sure, and thank you so much for having me. So excited to chat with you today. Um, A little bit about myself. I'm currently the VP of Compliance and Strategy for Stacks LLC, which is the wholly owned plant touching subsidiary of EASE. So I oversee the compliance for the entire network uh, in California, and we're moving into Michigan now as well. And in that role, I also have helped create their social uh, equity licensing program, which has been a really uh, amazing journey as well. And that's really something that I feel very passionate about in the industry is kind of having more of us within all of these different roles. So before I worked at uh, Stacks with Ease, I worked at Forefront Ventures, where I was their VP of Innovation and Strategy, uh, building their social equity program for their Catalyst Fund, and we called that their Catalyst Program. And a big part of what I was doing, uh, working for that organization was not only helping uh, create the terms around our social equity partnerships and, and helping those licensees through the licensing process as well, but also creating a program that would be a little bit more focused on community reinvestment and connecting those dots between the war on drugs and kind of the cannabis industry now. And even the people who are really powering this cannabis industry now, which are typically black brown disproportionately impacted people and workers so really trying to uh, deepen our understanding and uh, around the notions of reinvestment and social equity and what that should look like when we're connecting that to our companies and our corporations and the way that we move forward with regulations i actually come into the cannabis space as a medical patient uh, in the late Uh, In in probably 1999, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I was a college student and it very much turned my life upside down and Mm -hmm. uh, really threatened to end my life. And I did everything the doctors told me for about five years and decided after that to really dump all of their uh, medicines and just go fully into uh, an herbal regimen of medical cannabis which um, really worked for me. And I think is it was a really empowering alternative for me and allowed me to kind of take my life back and be able to have four children, uh, which I was told I would never be allowed to do. Um, and not only uh-huh. that, I probably wouldn't be keeping all of my organs. <laughs> They'd well. be cutting parts of those out too. So I uh, I, I very much uh, appreciate the plant. I, I owe my life to it. And I, I very much enjoy kind of being able to have that spiritual connection with the plant as well, which is something that has been taken from us through this kind of war on drugs and the way that we culturally interact and, and the stereotypes around it. So that's a big part of what I would like to do as well as kind of help demystify and change the way we look at the plant so that that normalization can come a lot faster for for folks that, that look like me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point that you've made. Um, I think more and more people are beginning to understand cannabis truly as a wellness and medical um product i know you know there's adult use you know applications for it but now that you know prohibition is kind of easing off more people are embracing it and um i think it's really great that you were kind of a
0: pioneer and early entrant in that guys it was was, go go ahead oh no no. sorry i was just gonna say i'm so stuck on four kids (laughs) i don't know about you but i'm still stuck
2: yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciation for that. And, and you know, it's been a part of it's been a big part of my journey of even deciding how how forward facing I am with that. Right. Because then, you know, first it was the medical industry and we all kept it pretty underground. You know, we weren't running around flashing that on oh, the mm-hmm. cannabis patient. At least I wasn't personally. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was I was always afraid to do that. And even now. Um, A couple years ago, one of my sons was diagnosed with autism and he is five, almost six now. And you know, a lot of people when he was first diagnosed were like, Well, are you gonna treat him with cannabis, right? And I was like, Absolutely not. <laughs> I, am a, I am a black woman and I do not want oh, my child to away from me. There are certain yeah. things, certain communities and folks can do and it's accepted and it's embraced. But yeah. I know the way that I'm treated by the doctors when I go in with my son and it's and and my and, and, and a little bit of context as well. I mean, my son is mixed. Uh, My husband is Korean and white. I'm white and black. And my son, you know, could be passing. He could be considered to be passing to to some Mm -hmm. people. So I think sometimes when we're out in the world with him, it's kind of like, who is this black woman with this white kid? Is he okay? He's screaming. Is everything. And I definitely had people come up to me and ask me, you know, is everything all right, ma'am? Is he okay? Do I need to. <laughs> do you want to oh lean God. in here, friends? Mm. <laughs> Don't think you
1: do. Yeah. But yeah, we, we have to
2: realize that for for even for cannabis medicine, when it comes to our communities, it is more dangerous for us to to go into those realms and to learn about it and to use it and to be public about it and vocal about it. So um, that is definitely something that I've obviously chosen to do now in my career as be very forward facing about the fact that yes, I, I do use cannabis as, as Mm a recreational tool, as my medicine. Um, It's now my industry. I sell cannabis proudly. I create cannabis products. Um, And, but it was a struggle. It was definitely something that as, as a black woman, I was fearful about and I felt like perhaps this was something that I'm adding to my plate of of, mm-hmm. you know, difficulty, po- possible difficulty in my life that I can't then unwind, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it's very real. And, and I, I think it's important that a lot of corporations who perhaps are not, you know, founded, you know, our allies in the space folks that have a lot of power and a lot of agency, really Mm -hmm. backing us up and having our backs Mm -hmm. and making sure that when things happen to small business owners who might be black, brown, Asian, um, that they are leaning in and helping with their resources, with their legal resources, with their lobbyists, the
0: things Mm -hmm. that we don't have to protect ourselves and to help protect our communities. That's so important to, to know and understand Um, and I thank you for sharing your story about that as well. Um, The other question that I had was, when you first started your entrepreneurial journey in cannabis, were there any distinct experiences or interactions that surprised you about how the industry in itself worked?
2: That is a really good question. I think that there's some very eye-opening secrets that people would probably not like me to share that I will share. Oh boy. Um, you an exclusive. Yeah. We're ready <laughs> for we're it. Creating. This is what we wanted. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's unique about Biko and a lot of the brands that are coming out, you know, we're seeing that consumers for so long, it's Indica, Sativa and hybrid. And, you know, people think about these things based on the naming conventions and the names that they know that are popular. And what people don't realize so often is you can name that that plant anything you want you can name that flower anything you want so you know you can have a grower they've it's maybe it's a, a lemon haze strain but maybe the manufacturer they don't want to use a lemon haze they need something that sounds a little more berry maybe they're con Consumer base loves a berry so they could just change that to a berry haze and it's no different than that lemon haze as long as you can't really change the terpenes on a coa though right so when the when you're doing the testing and it shows you the breakdown of exactly what's in that flower um, that's something that you can't change so mm-hmm. what i you know think that consumers are going to start understanding and learning about and as well as kind of manufacturers a little bit of this demystification that's going to happen around the supply chain of like, you know, we want to really know what we're consuming. And how can we know that you can't know that just from the name, you know, you, you might think you're buying this or that. And and in reality, you're just buying something that was named in a way that they know is going to move mm. you in this. Um, renamed, you know, at the COA level before testing has happened. You just tell the, you know, you just tell the lab and we're going to call it this. Can you put that on the COA? Sure, no, no problem, because that's also the way that, you know, private label uh, flower works. You know, if you have somebody that says, you know, I want to make Drake Drake flower or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. or I want to make Michael Jackson a joint, you know, and, and I, the buds that are in that are going to be called th- thriller, you're going to take any old you know flower that you might find and you're going to rename it thriller <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and so you know this is something that I think as consumers become more savvy, they're going to start wanting to see the COAs. They're going to want to start understanding if brands have a way that they can scan perhaps and go to a website where they can find more information, do a little bit more research Mm -hmm. and not always trust when somebody's saying, oh, that's an indica. Is it though? What terpenes does it have in it? And then those terpenes, the more you learn about the different terpenes and those effects, you can kind of understand, okay, well, no matter if they're saying the name is, you know, whatever the name is, whatever they say, the Indica Sativa hybrid is, it doesn't matter. I know the terpene profile and I know that I love a limonene and I know that, you know, that makes me feel energetic or that makes me feel calm in the way that I need. And so I'm gonna try to find flower that has limonene in it. Um, So I think that, you know, that was kind of one thing that when i realized people were doing this at such a large scale it just kind of seems unfair <laughs> like,
0: no that, that, that actually that, is then. so you know? annoying like you're literally you're yeah. telling me like oh i thought i went in to buy a thriller but i actually bought <laughs> a like like million vanilla like what yes. this is yeah. crazy <laughs> yes. it's not fair exactly
2: exactly <laughs> um and then too you know you have so many pre-rolls out there and then it's like every pre-roll is not the same what's being put in those pre-rolls is is totally different uh, oftentimes you know so very much when you're paying and i pre-rolls are a premium product they're doing the work for you right and so i know that Mm -hmm. you know the difference between i'm paying a little bit of extra to make sure that i can open that up and use it right now because i've got five seconds versus five minutes to get it together Mm -hmm. um you're gonna pay a little premium for that but is this experience going to be the same as what you would have at home when you grind down flour and make it into a joint? Because if it's not, if it's going to be that shake experience, if it's going to be that like lower quality, you know, experience. You should know that. <laughs> so, right. I guess it's it's important that, and and that's okay. You know, and some people are kind of like, you know, what? I don't mind smoking a shake pre roll. That's that's actually what I'm looking for. It's a little lighter. It's a little less, you know, heavy for me. That's great. And that's good. It's just good to know what you're getting though. When you're, you know, you Correct. think you're buying a pre roll pack, and and you're mm-hmm. expecting to have this nice smooth experience, and you hit it, and it's just so harsh and so dry, and you're like, why? Why is this happening? It's because it was really old that was sitting around drying out, no, no oils left in it. And now it's, and now it's you. And then as soon as they put it in that pre-roll, it becomes, you know, a fresh new product that nobody thinks about, you know, what's inside. So, uh, you know, at at Biko, we very much focus on uh, whole flour pre-rolls. And so every time you, you get one of our pre-rolls, you're going to know it's, it's going to be that same experience of if you were to grind it up yourself, we're just doing it for you. So Mm -hmm. we've never purchased any, shake or trim to be putting in our pre-roll so it's it's like those little things that are very much the difference and oftentimes the difference between your your massive huge huge brands and then you know your folks who are who are small and, and they're growing but they're kind of growing slowly and organically because they want to stay within a certain type of of quality control
1: mm-hmm. you know yeah know. well yeah, these are really great insider insights, I guess. Tamika is giving who, us tea, Chelsea. I know who would have who would have known. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I, mean, I feel she's like the in,
2: worst. Just have. I know. Stop. She's always telling people. She's always trying to get people to get better deals and social equity. It's like there's always people. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I guess speaking of Biko and your brand, um, how did you come up with like the name and the concept and um, like? Like we mentioned earlier, um, you know, you are a social equity licensee. What was that experience of getting that license? And, you know, what was that process like? That
2: process is... For one, I'll tell you about the name. I'll tell you first about the name, how, how we came up with the name Bico. Great. Um, and kind of the the concept behind the brand. Because when, you know, in the medical days, part of what was hard for me to actually go physically into a dispensary was really the culture. So you would go in, you know, you're having a hard day. I, oh, my stomach is feeling terrible. I just need to go get my medicine. I'm waiting in line and I'm looking around. And over here is just this aggressive Photo or poster of like a woman holding a gun, and her like nipples oh are God. covered with cannabis leaves, oh and God. then I look over here. That is really
0: aggressive.
1: Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> right. Whoa! <laughs> and, and this is a medical and, you know, facility.
2: <laughs> this is a medical facility. This is in the medical days. This is before God. adult use, and Same. you know, this was like the normal experience. And even so many of the brands, you know, you've got you know brass knuckles and heavy hitters. It's also, it's also it's just so aggressive
1: you
2: know? yeah you know, so many of us are are treating trauma we're treating anxiety mm-hmm. depression you know hardcore diseases that will always be with us that's the that's stressful it's a very mm-hmm. stressful thing um, mm-hmm. to, to feel like that and and to not feel like there are very many brands and, and then the brands that were there kind of for women right or to, to kind mm-hmm. of represent that vibe they were always very Women don't want high potency products, for one. You know, women—they're very lightweight type of a smoker, is the assumption, (laughs) right? So it's always, you know, definitely a CBD blend, or you know, it's probably CBD forward because that's what women want. I'm like, I'm a woman. I'm here to tell you that's not what I want. (laughs) (laughs) All facts. (laughs) I've been medicating for 20 years now. I need, I need some, some of the real, real. You know, so. I really wanted to create a brand where we could lean into what it would look like to have products that were really created for a connoisseur like me um, and a high functioning connoisseur <laughs> who <laughs> is also successful right because there's mm-hmm. thoughts about like oh stoners you know if you're smoking all day every day you must be highly unsuccessful and sitting on the couch right. and watching Netflix and Stereotype. you know, all these stereotypes of <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what it must be so um, and then there was the layer for me of kind of never really knowing anything about my heritage. I was grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in a very homogenous white Catholic um, society. <laughs> I yeah. went to all Catholic schools growing up, and it was a really I had a really. Bad experience, and mm, I mean, wow. uh, I it can was. Imagine. You know, yeah. Why is your mom a nigger lover? You know, <gasps> why, oh God. first question, wow. first grade. You know, I'm I'm the new girl. I'm the only black girl in the school, and like this is what I'm I'm dealing Wait, with on the playground. Kids are asking you that. Kids are asking me that. She's you know, even my kid's mind is being like your parents need to stop you
0: know, because <laughs> yes, of course it's coming from the parents
1: Paris, of course it is about, oh, we've got this little Jesus. girl at school you know well
2: she's black oh well, she's not black i saw her mom she's white well why is her mom a nigger lover anyway <laughs> I'm just My like God. Whoa. but and then going to the teachers and crying to the teachers and the teachers being like suck it up you're not going to get any comfort here and i'm My learning God. very early on you know that this is this and then really having my heritage be connected to nothing but slavery right because that's who Mm. my ancestors were my ancestors weren't african people from from a continent and and definitely lived in one of these countries they were slaves right and so it was what was it like to be a slave tamika you tell us because you must know your people were slaves and kind of are still slaves right (laughs) Mm. you know so that was that was me growing up and always really wanting to be able to kind of you know, compete and show them my worth, you know, because that's what you do. You're a kid and you're like, they're they're like, oh, you're not good enough. And you're like, yes, I am. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then also just kind of seeing in the cannabis space, seeing that same lack of lack of representation, lack of celebration, lack of being able to see myself and the assumptions about what it is about black people who smoke. you know they're criminals, mm-hmm. they're you know it, you hear a lot about the nonviolent offenders versus violent offenders in cannabis, right And we know who the violent ones are, right? They're the black and brown people. It's the, it's the white growers who are the typically the nonviolent ones. But, mm. you know, our friends who are on the corner with a knife in their pocket or, or had a gun at home or in their car or whatever it was, they're the violent ones, of course, mm. you know. Um, yep. So but if you're in Northern California and you're, you have a grow and you have security ops and they have guns, but you get arrested, that's nonviolent, you know. So there's just this this really dangerous culture that continues. It continues in our social equity community and, and the politics around that. And, and it continues in, in the way we create the brand. So getting back to how I named Vico, So I did my ancestry DNA uh, test And I Mm -hmm. found, you know, kind of try to get to my heritage. And I found that I had uh, a lot of Nigerian heritage. So I decided to celebrate that. Biko means please in the Igbo language and um, is spoken in the pidgin uh, in that region, Equatorial Guinea and and that whole region. And so I wanted to name the brand that to kind of celebrate my heritage. And then our first launch products are Juiceo and our Juiceo Diamonds. Um, We used Korean to celebrate my husband's heritage and our children. And uh, Juseo means please pass me or please give me in Korean. So we thought that was also perfect.
0: I love that. That's so cute. I love that. Everything that you said, I'm just like, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. And and shout out to Fort Wayne, Indiana. I actually, I've been to Fort Wayne. (laughs) I'm from Chicago, so I've I've been in Indiana a few times. Yeah, so funny that you mentioned that. So you know
2: that. exactly where, you know where I was at. You know where I was at. And you know, it's a I lot more diverse do. now. Um, and I mean, I, I think that some people had a, a very specific experience. My experience was... Particular because I was kind of in all Catholic schools, and I was in a very kind of specific environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I would have kind of went to a different school, or even mm-hmm. you know lived in a different neighborhood, or just had different um, interactions, it probably would have been a whole different city for me. But <laughs> for people sure. it's like a, yeah. a very you know uh, a throwback in time. I mean, when we moved into my house in Fort Wayne, uh, when I was twelve, we moved into a new house. It was right outside of the city limits, and. Someone had spray painted KKK and die niggers go home oh my on God. an abandoned train car, literally a block from my house. So it was like we're driving down to go to school one morning. <sighs> And this is in this in this huge abandoned field that's like literally, like I said, it was not even like jogging. You know, if I'm doing my little track uh, conditioning, I'm passing, it. <laughs> just sure. going and turning right around. And that was a big kind of eye opener for me because this was like 1992, and um, I'm like, this—we're in the '90s. There are people spray painting die niggers on train cars, oh and God. what is happening? I have to. We have to. I have to get out of this city. <laughs>
1: can't
0: stay oh my here. Goodness. Well, yeah. I'm glad you got I, out. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. You got the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, really
0: you're in a safe brand.
1: place now in California.
0: <laughs> and now you have a beautiful brand and four yeah. beautiful
1: kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're owning your heritage. And that's, it's a, aside from the Fort Wayne part, I think your <laughs> brand story is very beautiful.
2: Well, um, it, it made me into who I was too. I mean, yeah. it, I don't think I would have that strength and resilience and kind of so many things about me are really uh, Mm -hmm. born out of that experience. So I should be thanking Fort Wayne, you know, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. (laughs) build your girl up into, into being able to really get through a lot of this trauma, because I mean, to be honest, like Crohn's disease could have killed me. So I, I fought and I, you know, I'm a fighter. And, um, I think that, you know, what doesn't kill us does make us stronger and and enables us to kind of get to that next level. So it's, it's all been a blessing at this point.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, and I guess just speaking of the next level. So when you did decide it was time to apply for that social equity license, like how did you know you were ready? What what was your overall experience? I know you mentioned it was kind of like an ordeal, but I mean, we hope that, you know, listen, people who are listening are also going through the process and we want them to also know what to expect.
2: Yes, yes. The ongoing process that I mentioned, that's kind of always ongoing. So I, I did obtain two uh, licenses through partnerships in the phase two process in Los Angeles, and that was only open for social equity licensees who had previously had a business. So if you were not if you could not prove that you were previously in cannabis business during the medical kind of in a legal way during the medical mm-hmm. um the the medical days um you could not uh, qualify so not only did you have to be verified for social equity but you had to prove like i said that you had a business and that it was operating as an actual cannabis business you had to have your receipts and show that like mm-hmm. there were actual transactions happening all of these things so um you know just kind of organically learned about the process uh applied and I was kind of helping write applications for a lot of people at the time because a lot of these application processes were opening. West Hollywood opened. I helped folks on some applications for West Hollywood, um, Pasadena, you know, there there were all these places turning on. So I kind of really organically just became really well-versed and experienced in the licensing process in general. Los Angeles's process is not difficult. I will say that you know, there's there's a lot of pain points around any of these social equity licensing processes. Most of them are just attention to detail and being able to gather all of the materials that you really need. Um, and uh, you know, a big Part of what you're doing during that process as well is really understanding how your business is going to run once you get that license. And that's the harder part, I think, than getting the license, at least in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, figuring out how you're going to operationalize that license, figuring out how you're going to keep things good between you and your partners. That is a challenge. And that's something that pretty much no program has found a way to support applicants in. And and this is where it all falls apart. Uh, You know, you can you can have a license, you can be trying to operate with partners for two or three years. But if you aren't getting on the same page with them, there aren't a whole lot of things that you can do other than walk away from your license, you know, to kind of solve those problems in the Mm. current way that it is. Uh, You could sue your partners, I suppose, and then pay all those legal fees. And oftentimes you're partnering with people who can. Have much deeper pockets and, right. and and much more expensive lawyers than what you have. If right. you have a lawyer that you're bringing initially to to the um, to the process, which obviously everybody should, but honestly, everybody can't afford to. Right, mm-hmm. that's just the reality. When I first started out in this process, I certainly couldn't afford legal representation. I did not have five to ten thousand dollars to put anyone on retainer, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I just think that that's really the first step. And and I think what, what really does hang a lot of folks up is you think, yes, I am I am qualified for social equity, but that's really irrelevant. It's can you prove that qualification? And oftentimes mm-hmm. it is harder to prove that qualification than folks think. You know, even yeah. if you were formerly incarcerated, if you don't have those records and you don't have somebody, if you don't know how to get those records, then if you lost the records or if you never had them in your own possession, mm-hmm. it can be difficult, you know, to, to kind of dig all of those things up and make the the requests in the way that you need to. You, you have to kind of know exactly what you need ahead of time and start gathering all those materials. You need to make sure nothing is, is. it, it sounds silly, um, but you have to make sure like all of your IDs are current. They can't be expired. That's something that you could turn in everything mm. and then they copy of your ID. If it's expired, right. you're done. You know, wow. you're done. <clears throat> there are little things that can get you kicked out of the process that are, that seems silly now. And I like, I was saying, I think the process is kind of nice because they really do allow you if, if you're missing something or something is wrong, they will reach out to you and say, Hey, you're missing this, or this is wrong. Can you please correct it? Or can you please resubmit it? Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, certain municipalities, you didn't turn it in, it's missing. You're, you are not in the running any longer, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. highly competitive process. So yeah. it, it's really to know and to understand is your process competitive or is your process more about you know filling out a checklist and and you know making sure that you have everything there that they're asking for um, and that maybe it's more of like a lottery process so it's as long as mm-hmm. whoever has everything in, all of those people are going to get put in a pot and then a certain amount of people are going to end up getting licenses based on that. But if you're have an incomplete mm-hmm. application, you're not even going to be a part of that lottery process. Right. So it's like, it's different per municipality. It's different per state. Um, how these, how these kind of processes will play out. I am also currently operationalizing a, a retail license in the city of LA that I won through the phase three round one process. Um, and there were 200 of those uh, kind of winners quote unquote through that process that are, mm-hmm. you know, working on operationalizing their storefront licenses in LA and One of the things that I've been seeing that's happening that has been really troubling to me is a a devaluation of social equity retail licenses. So, for example, what we'll see is, let's say you have a license, you have one legacy license that was a phase one operator, that was a medical operator, and Mm -hmm. they're in a mid-city location. And let's say they have $4 million of debt on that license. Um, But that license is bringing in a certain amount of revenue. So they're going to count that revenue. They might value that license at $10 million, right? You will have a social equity licensee a couple blocks away. You know, so we know it's same foot traffic, same area. They're going to get the similar amount of people, type of people coming into the location. But, you know, there's no revenues. Obviously, this business wasn't open. It's new. Um, So Mm -hmm. you can't count that. They are valuing those oftentimes at $1 million right now, just 1 million. And a lot of what the deal terms that I've been hearing going around are is, we'll give you $500,000. We'll take the the 49% equity that's left over in the license holding entity. And so, and then you aren't gonna get anything unless we sell it. And then the event of a sale, you'll get 51%. We're valuing it about a million dollars because we're putting in that $500,000. We're the partner. Mm. We're going to manage the retail license. So that means Mm. that we're going to take fees and a percentage of revenues in order to manage it. And we're going to get reimbursed for everything that we put in. So at the end of the day, the reality is Mm. that business isn't going to make money for anybody but the partner because it's all going to get drained out in the fees. Right. As a social equity partner, you're hoping, I guess, eventually that we sell it. At least maybe I'll get $500,000 out of it mm-hmm. if we can sell it one day. Right. But the partner likely doesn't want to sell it. They're a big mm-hmm. corporation. They wanted to add a location. They're probably not looking to sell. And even if they are, um, what are the real recoup things in the in the actual long-form contract? Is, is part of my take going to be put into that of like repayment of something or how is this all going to shake out is half of this going to end up being taxes is my take home really only going to be two hundred thousand dollars after all of this blood sweat tears putting my name out there this is (laughs) is the reality so this is what's happening to our early phase social equity licensees and what i'm worried about is that this is setting A really dangerous trend nationally, right? Because if we start saying, okay, we have real retail storefronts and then we have social equity retail storefronts, which are the fake lower valued ones that are held by people that don't know what they're doing, you know, when we are creating that kind of an ill-informed stereotype about who the entrepreneurs are running these businesses and, you know, what the value of these businesses are in our communities and even just financially to corporations even, you know, because to Mm -hmm. me, I'm not one that runs around toting all corporations, all corporations are evil. I've been working for corporations in cannabis. I think we've got to get in, we've got to infiltrate corporations. We've got to teach them and show them what they should be doing for our communities and how they should be building these social equity programs, you know, what they're doing wrong, what they could be doing right. You know, we can't just scream about that from the outside. How are we going to make, you know, a corporation Mm -hmm. build a social equity program to a certain specs, from the outside, what does that right. even look like?
0: Meet, you got to build right? it from the inside out. Totally. You got to
2: build it from the inside. You got to get in there. You got to say, "I'm an expert. I understand these things. I have these, you know, uh, uh, contacts. I have, you know, this is how this has worked in the past. These are these different ways that it could work." We need corporations. We need businesses to help us stand <laughs> up our, our licenses. Right. That's just if we don't have business support, we're gonna fail. We're all gonna fail. Um, so, so that has to happen. But. Um, creating this this uh, kind of world where retail storefront for cannabis licenses are all valued at a certain way, but we have this underclass of social equity licenses that are valued in a totally different way. That's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Right. That That is not the intent of any of these programs. And uh, it's it's so then what we're what we're really seeing then is that people who are signing deals undervaluing their storefronts in Los Angeles are affecting people who are going to sign deals in New York in two years, right? Because yeah. there are investors yeah. and there are corporate. Heads, uh, who are sitting there being like, Oh, I happen to know social equity. We are going to, we're driving the price of those down right now. You know, those are only, we can snap those up for 500,000. We shouldn't have to spend out too much, you know, when in reality, you know, they're spending all this money on these other businesses. They're taking on debt that they're not even going to be able to make any money on, um, just acquiring licenses, you know, but they're not willing to take some of these factors into account with social equity. So it's just, we've got a lot of work to do. We got to figure out other ways that social equity applicants and license holders can operationalize their licenses without only taking investment. There's got to be other ways. There's got to be folks offering good terms on loans. There's got to be grants. There's got to be, you know, networks of people who are offering discounted services and, you know, offering supply chain that we know um, are going to be strong. Because for so many of us, for our social equity businesses, it's not like, you know, we uh, don't know how to operate or like we don't know what we're doing. It's that we're small and oftentimes self-funded or underfunded. And so mistakes can't happen for us. You know, we can't have a whole batch of flour that's that's trash, you know, Mm -hmm. um, or that we can't have a a whole bunch of packaging that we order. That's wrong. That was there was a mistake made. And now we have to reorder that can Mm -hmm. happen one time and and shutter your business. You know, oh, I lost that $10,000 in packaging. I don't have any more money. I needed that Mm -hmm. packaging to be able to sell through these products. Now what? Now I got to go find, you know, I got to go ask somebody for $10,000 to replace this packaging because I made a mistake on my compliance.
0: Mm.
2: Um, these are the things that when you're a big corporation, I've watched it. Oh, whoops, whoops, we made that mistake. We've mm. got millions of dollars in the bank. Reorder it. Big deal. We'll write it off. It's a loss, you know, but when you're a small mm. business, a social equity business, you can't always afford that, you know, so no. those are the, those are the differences. Those are the places where, you know, at the very least, social equity businesses need to know, the folks that they're getting counsel from, what they're hearing is accurate, you know, the 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 products that they're buying, the supply chain that they're using, they can rely on. So all of these things mm-hmm. are incredibly important for for any small business obviously, but also specifically for for our social equity businesses.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, thank you. F- Thank you for yeah bringing this to our attention. I think in previous conversations we've had on, had on this podcast, you know, we've only heard of predatory loans or, you know, like the high cost of capital. It just had never occurred to us that, you know, the partners in these social equity deals are undervaluing these yeah, these companies and kind of just f- fucking people over.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, the predatory, the predatory loans is one that I mean, I've been in tears hearing about some of these um, structures every once in a while. I'll get in a room where people don't realize who I am. Right. I've been invited into the room. It's mostly people that don't look like me. And if I don't show my face um, and I just call in, um, they might not know who I am. And they start talking pretty openly about uh, social equity program that they're building the terms, and I mean, I've definitely heard people say things like, "Oh, yeah, I mean, the partner, the business is going into debt. it's struck the loan is structured for the business to go into debt so that they will always owe the partner company money based on the loan. It's just like the way the ends wow. don't meet. <laughs> you know, wow. They know the ends aren't going wow. and 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 so th- those are really the things. so we've got we've got predatory loans, uh, we've got the high cost of capital, we've got low valuations. We've got management company fees and licensing fees Mm -hmm. that will say they're a small percentage of gross revenues, but end up being a large percentage of the economics. So when I first was learning, I'm not an MBA. I'm not a finance person. You know, I went to law school for a moment. So I'm a lot more on on the legal side of things and, and my understanding, reading contracts and things. So when I first came into kind of the corporate development, business development space, I really didn't understand a whole lot about. How these things work and i think a lot of people are are there when they're first kind of getting into cannabis cannabis business it's not like they really understand these kind of macro concepts of, of how uh these things work so when i was first hearing some of these programs say, oh the management fee you know we're gonna charge 10 percent off of gross revenues and you think to yourself okay, great. There's 90% of gross revenues left for the business, you know, <laughs> but that's not how gross revenues works. That's yeah. not how those tabulations work. And, yeah. you know, 10% of your gross revenues could end up being 75% of your economics. It could end up being everything. It could actually end up being a hundred percent. It could end up being, we can't, you know, that's not how that works um, when you're, when you're taking into account all of your costs and and everything and how it all flows together. So you know, understanding that when there's like licensing deals that are coming out and, and you feel like they sound okay, in reality, if they're not putting money into your business, and you're giving them money, um, is that going to end up making sense over time? You know, so it's it's a matter of two you know, looking at the right now is so different than the in three years. Right. And I think so many of us are so focused on the right now because we feel like we have this license in our hand. We need to get this stood up. If we don't stand it up, it's not even real and it may never become real. So we have to hurry up and and stand it up and we need to take whatever money is coming at us to do that. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. somebody's giving us a low valuation. That's still money in the bank. I know you're telling me I should wait, but if I wait, maybe I'm never even going to get this opportunity off of the ground. Maybe I'll never right. even be able to make that 500,000. So you're trying to keep me from my 500,000. Never mind. I'm going to sign that right now. So I at least have something, but I can guarantee you, no matter how you feel about that right now, in three years, you will feel different about it. You will feel different about it when your store is humming. You're making this millions of dollars coming in. You're seeing what's happening and mm-hmm. what's your take? what is in it for you. Now you're still waiting for that $500,000. You're laughing because you're seeing that you're making millions and you're not understanding how that makes any sense. And they're saying, you signed a contract. This was always the deal. Um, okay. You know, So I think that we have to think of it that way. We have to think of it as what this feels like right now. How is this gonna feel in three years? How's it gonna feel in five years? You know, Am I gonna still feel that urgency? And, um, and is there any liability attached to what's happening here? You know, who is this company? Might they be doing things that are not compliant? And if so, is that putting my business or any of my other licenses in jeopardy?
0: That's really good to know. I mean, all of this, this, that you're spitting, I feel like (laughs) our, our listeners should be so grateful that we're giving you this for free 99. Like, this is just amazing. So thank you for that. I wanted to slightly switch gears a little bit and talk about um, our academy, So shout out to the Broccoli Report for um, bringing this up, uh, bringing this to my attention. Um, We saw in the newsletter that um, you and your partner created our academy, which is, a mentorship and resource oh, she showed the broccoli report. <laughs> uh, awesome. It's so
2: beautiful. It's it just is. so gorgeous. I love Lauren. Lauren was actually one of our first models for Biko. She was in our first photo oh, wow. shoot. So wow. she's actually like her hand is in our sales sheet and she's absolutely amazing powerhouse um, in the space. And so just big shout out to her and a shout out to Hillary Yu as well. Yes, yeah, uh, your partner. Of our academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been really amazing journey launching our academy during COVID at a time where we were really stressed out because we saw all these social equity programs, including my own at forefront shuttering mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everybody was mm-hmm. making a huge downsizing around COVID things were changing very quickly. I went from, you know. I was speaking in person at South by Southwest. I was giving a keynote uh, for the Ease Momentum program, and that was going to be an in-person event. And everything kind of shut down that week, the week before that all those things happened. Mm. (laughs) I never got to go on my little speaking tour. My COVID canceled my speaking tour. Um, And so Hillary and I really started talking and we were really concerned about this fact that so many of these programs that had started were now done A lot of the funding was being pulled. Everybody was being very scared. And there seemed to be uh, just a real hole where social equity support used to be. And obviously, there were still organizations doing a lot. Um, Hillary and I had planned on kind of launching these in-person roundtable discussions that kind of flipped the social equity events on their head. Because what we were seeing a lot of and, and attending a lot of was... You have a couple speakers, they're in the front of the room, they all talk, Mm -hmm. everybody's in the room, you're listening. At the end, everybody gets in a long line and tries to like shake their hand and give them your card, and that was it. There wasn't a whole lot of great exchanging or like able to build your network that way. And everybody that was there certainly didn't get to talk to the people in the front of the room. So we wanted to create something that made it more interactive so that the people at the front of the room would actually be sitting at the table with other folks in the room and kind of like a speed dating for social equity and cannabis. So that there would be different tables that would be kind of focused on different areas of interest or Mm -hmm. education and have some experts sitting there and then invitees sitting there as well and then kind of switch and be able to go and meet everybody and talk, you share about yourself and your needs and, and your knowledge as well. And then they can share because I felt also a big part of what wasn't happening in the industry was the the knowledge exchange. It, it, and People think that with social equity, it's this top down thing. Social equity folks are empty vessels that need to be educated and filled up with knowledge. And that isn't accurate. right? Mm -hmm. Social equity Mm -hmm. folks have a lot that they can teach corporations and the industry in general. We were the Mm -hmm. legacy operators. You know, we've always been here doing this. And so I think that Mm -hmm. kind of knowing that the back and forth is incredibly important for both Types of parties uh, in the space. Um, and I think our academy does a great job of building that in and kind of um, bringing that kind of grassroots organizing energy into the social equity space by um, challenging corporate partners and organizations to offer skill shares and volunteer their time as mentors and offer teach ins and workshops for free. Um, and offer discounted services and pro bono services for the Love mentees. That. Um, mm. And also in, in in a more of a real way, kind of try to build this long lasting network and community of folks that feel comfortable working together and that can rely on each other. And that's been the most beautiful thing that we've seen out of our academy is the mentees that have come together and created brands together, created businesses together, created partnerships together and are that's applying wonderful. for licenses together. Um, just really seeing that synergy and that energy and that community supporting each other and blossoming together um has been very inspiring and and will continue to be incredibly needed uh, in the space as we as we build
1: wow that sounds yeah that sounds so incredible um And what an accomplishment, Um, I guess, aside from, you know, the mentorship opportunities that you just mentioned, how can bigger brands and operators create, you know, like these tangible professional opportunities for impacted communities? Like, do you think there are any opportunities that they're overlooking that they need to lean into more? I think that
2: every single company in cannabis should have an apprenticeship program and a mentorship Hmm. program, an internal one. Um, And. I, I think that it's it's easy to do. It's not like you have to take in a bunch of apprentices or, or mentees at a time. You could just do a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but even allowing folks to shadow or just having uh, ways that that folks can really learn more and build their skill set, even from inside their company. Because um, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a lot of times where companies, I think, are failing. Um, they're looking so much towards the outside. And you have to do that, you know, supporting organizations that are doing the work is great. But it's kind of like, what's happening in your own house? You know, how are you serving or not underrepresented populations that work for you? Or are there any? (laughs) Do we need to diversify? Um, What is what does your leadership look like? You know, what kind of folks are helping make decisions and are being brought to that table? Oftentimes, we think about social equity work and, you know, diversity and inclusion, corporate responsibility and cannabis as, you know, just dollars that you donate to organizations or products that you say a percentage is going to go towards this community or this garden. Yeah. But in reality, those are really important. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do those. They they need to. But if you're doing that and your entire board and your entire executive team look like, you know, uh, not, not like any place that I'm going to be invited to hang out with, you know, or Trump's like a golf club. It, there you go. Exactly. You know, they look like folks who, um, you know, that's a problem. You know, what are we, what are we doing to address that in the industry? You know, it's, it's fine to trickle that down, but if there aren't enough people being lifted up in the actual industry, you know, this is a new industry. It's a nascent it is going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. And this is our time. We have experience here. We have knowledge. We've put in the work. Our communities have been devastated by a war around this plant that was literally used to enslave us for free labor mm-hmm. within our prison system. So, you know, and, and not only that, just devastating our communities, traumatizing our communities, making it so mothers like, like me feel um, nervous to send their children out into the streets, you know, into the world to walk to school because they don't know how over-policing is going to um, affect them. So I just think that keeping the pressure on in the, in the holistic aspect of building these companies is incredibly important.
0: Oh, I love that. Tamika, can I say like, this has been one of the best interviews that we've had. I don't know about you, Chelsea, yeah. but I am just like, I know
1: I'm like sad. We only get an hour because <sighs> I could really just keep going. No,
0: seriously. Well, I would love I know, to talk to you
2: ladies anytime, please, please have me back. I mean, as I was thinking about this, uh, this discussion today, I was really thinking about as well, just how we're not connecting the dots between, Social equity and the impacts in our community, and mm-hmm. like what needs to change, what needs to be rectified, right? Because so many people, due to the war on drugs, it was like they lost housing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not like yep. they ever got that housing back. People, other people got into that housing, and then they were rendered houseless. Mm-hmm. So, what can we do to increase that in our communities? Um, you know, so many people lost the ability to go to school, their education. Sure. You no. Know, um, mm-hmm. How are we going to, how are we going to replace that? So many folks, you know, these communities that were over-policed, our green spaces were taken away. You know, our grocery stores were sometimes taken away and locked yeah. up and acting like we don't deserve organic produce. What are we going to do to address those things that are directly connected to the war on drugs and to mm-hmm. how our communities have been victimized and traumatized over years over over this? So, you know, that's just another way that corporations can start thinking about spending their dollars and organizations that are doing the work, not necessarily cannabis work, but if you're doing housing work, you're doing work Mm -hmm. about the war on drugs. If you're doing abolition work and, and talking about, you know, um, closing private prisons and abolishing prisons, you're doing work uh, that's social equity work. You know, if you're
0: Absolutely. building
2: community gardens and you're working on education programs and, and, and apprenticeship programs and uh, sending folks to college, you're working on uh, social equity work and, and you're working on the devastation that the war on drugs caused. So thinking about it in that way, I think is really, really important as well.
0: I seriously feel like you, I don't know if you, you're familiar with Mary Pryor from Canaclosa, but I, I feel like we need to have both you and her on an upcoming podcast and we can just hash yes. all this shit out. Like just all yeah. of us women of color just hashing it out, you know?
2: Yeah. We were supposed to speak at South by Southwest together. Oh
0: actually, my god. was
1: canceled. No.
0: <laughs> oh my god. We're gonna, oh gonna, we're, gonna
1: we're gonna we're gonna get you life. back in there. Chelsea, I'm gonna, you gotta I'm gonna work see it. it. I'm going to, I'm drafting can inclusive South by Southwest proposal. I'm going to see what I can do.
0: I love it. (laughs) We got to do this. And and just looking ahead, just because at high priority, we love to like manifest dreams and goals and Mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So looking ahead, what can we expect to see from you and the companies that you're affiliated with within the next few years? And what do you hope that the cannabis industry will look like in the next 10 years?
2: Wow. Well, I definitely hope that well, for me, from Bico, um, we are definitely kind of planning our our global expansion. So hopefully, you'll be able to find Bico every single place that cannabis is available uh, sooner or okay. later. And and of course, soon we will be federally legal here in the United States for mm-hmm. cannabis. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows if it'll be this administration, but it will be sometime in our near future before that 10 years. Definitely. So I, I really, really am nervous about what that's going to look like for us. Uh, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to really engage the the regulators and and make sure that there's some inclusion there for social equity on the federal level and i think that uh i'm really looking forward to normalization happening in in a really beautiful organic way and on all of us coming together to kind of really work on that so that in 10 years you know the way that we view this plant is just so different. We'll, we'll be talking about the times that you remember when you know, people <laughs> used to feel pe- people who used cannabis were just stoners who sat on their <laughs> couch and ate potato chips and that was it. Like now look at what we have, have done because we've really changed and expanded the way that people understand and interact with the plant. And now it's just so normalized and, and seen as, as such a different, um,
0: a different force to be reckoned with in our, in our lives. Definitely. And I, for one, will continue to follow your journey um, and, and Biko and our, our Academy and just all the people who are putting in the work to really make social equity an essential component of the cannabis industry period so we appreciate you for for coming on here but you know we can't let you leave without doing some fun stuff first yes yes (laughs) let's do it let's do it so this segment we like to call i got five and this is where we ask you some very hard-hitting questions like we just didn't already ask you a bunch of hard-hitting questions um and you have to just like rapid fire like off the dome let us know your thoughts all right first one Indica or sativa?
2: We're gonna choose an indica because Tamika likes to run her mouth a lot. We're gonna we're gonna calm her down a little bit. Indica, we're
0: just gonna slow her down. Okay, she says indica. (laughs) choice. In the bed, indica. Okay, got it. That's right. That's fine. fine.
1: (laughs) And I guess since you mentioned all that stuff about terpenes, do you have a terpene of choice? Ooh, good question. You know, I'll tell you, I am
2: all over the place. I love, love, love cannabis and I love the various terpenes but a lot of our products have really had some beautiful limonene terpenes they've been Mm. very limonene dominant so Mm. I know I've been vibing on that oh I love that
1: yeah I'm gonna check that out too um all right so next question flower edible or concentrate
2: all of them at the same time Let's wow put them okay all out what did you being selfish taking well, it all <laughs> we're, gonna smoke, we're gonna have our little micro we're gonna have our tempo crackers because we're gonna have our charcuterie board Ooh. and then you know we're gonna have our little candy pens we're gonna use oh, the strontia wow um, discount code as well because i've been shopping all morning so i'm like trying to gear myself up here
0: so, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So basically, you're going to book a flight and come. Yeah.
2: And I, okay. exactly. I yes. think I'm setting the table right now. Yeah. Every <laughs> like, day,
1: I just really question living in New York. Like, we <laughs> live in a completely different world. There's no okay. cannabis charcuterie out here. But it's no. so
2: exciting. Everybody's so excited for New York. And no. you know, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there to, mm. to hang out with you ladies soon enough. Oh, we would with, love it. I folks. know, we would I love I that. I gotta make sure to get out there and help <laughs> as much as I can.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. And wouldn't that be great if like you had like a Bico consumption lounge oh my in God. New York? Oh. I would be all over that. The dream. I, I'm putting I, it out there. I'm putting it I know. out
1: there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're yes. just manifesting all over the place now. Yes. We want a Beco <laughs> consumption lounge.
2: It will be so beautiful. I, I can't wait.
1: I want to see Tamika in the C-suites. Oh, we'll be
2: like we'll look looking it. at our yes, 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 let's speak the C-suites into existence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on top of this. This is great. Yeah. I just I yeah. hear like Erica Badu music in the background like <laughs> right now. Um, if you had to choose it. one slang term for cannabis to use for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: I you know, I was thinking about this: the slang for cannabis. For me, I always, I, and I don't think this is a true slang, right? Because I always just say medicine. <laughs> I'm like, oh. that's, the cheat, that's the cheat slang. It's my medicine. you you're know? Right. So it's like, you know, if I'm talking to the hubby, it's like, do you, you want to medicate now? You know? So it's mm. like, dead, you know, you don't have no, to I put actually it all the like way that. out there. But the mm-hmm.
1: people, you know, yeah.
2: You know, yeah. You know what I'm talking about when I need to get mm-hmm. my, medis- my medication
1: on. I'm
0: going gonna, I'm gonna to take that.
1: Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. my medicine. <laughs> and it is, you know? It is. If you could smoke with any celebrity, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
2: There are so many celebrities I I would love to smoke with. (laughs) I just want to create, like, a, you know, get like Billie Holiday and Eartha Kitt in a room and just be like, ladies, ladies, just like the goddess. But the goddess energy just washed over me.
0: (laughs) Uh, I Uh, see. But
2: just thinking about the Black women who, were really trailblazing and who were just being, you know, uh, just hung out to dry over cannabis mm-hmm. and, and other mm-hmm. substances, obviously. Um, and then just thinking about how proud they would be to see us, you know, yes. being fearless mm-hmm. and trying to build this and then try to take care of our communities and 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 be innovative and revolutionary. Um, Mary Ellen Pleasant is, is Mm. also, you know, she's actually the woman, we did a Biko campaign this year in the desert. And it was kind of channeling the spirit of Mary Ellen Pleasant because she was this, you know, I don't know if you know that much about her, there's a drunk history about her that's really funny and and informative. Mm -hmm. But um, she Took credit for funding John Brown, uh, mm-hmm. his insurrection, and she uh, very much was kind of this millionaire who was building all of these innovative companies back in the Wild West days when black women were like not even allowed to do this, and she was just running Amazing. things and really building up her community and finding ways to you know work within that capitalist system that was being built there, and you know I, I just hope to do the same.
0: I love it. you like you literally named like all the queens right now. So I'm I'm getting the vibes. If you guys can see me, I'm <laughs> snapping little poetry snap. Um, last question: What's your favorite food to eat when you're high? Ooh, I'm like anything <laughs> that is in front of my face.
2: Um, <laughs> I look Thanks. around. Um, no, I I I actually. One thing that I actually really love to eat is fresh fruit and you know mango wow. is is one that I think oh, is really beautiful and that. delicious and helps elongate your high they say when you eat mango oh, uh, before or directly after
0: really now. So,
2: I I I have learned so much today.
0: (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) in a book. This is crazy. You get
2: your like, you get your beautiful Thai food and you get your like mango Mm. sticky rice to the side and then, you Mm. you know, you do your medication and then you have your meal and then you have your mango sticky rice and it's all just, you know, keeping you in the vibe.
1: Yeah, I see that. Totally. Because I guess when you're when at least when I'm high, like I'm big on textures. I can totally say hey, how mango totally vibes in your mouth, I guess, like that's very silky and like soft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're I'm right. And it. it's a slightly
0: healthier, you know, option than me picking out on Kentucky fried Chicken. Yep. <laughs> And McDonald's. So I literally had chicken nuggets at 11 last week
1: after edible. So no judgment.
2: No judgment.
1: Yes.
2: I love it. I absolutely love it. And then, you know, the microdosing too is dangerous when you have something that's really delicious
0: Mm -hmm. and you're like,
2: oh, this doesn't have that much in it. I'm just going to eat it. And then you eat it. And then you want another one. And then you want another one. And soon you've eaten the whole bag. So, that's where you have to be careful with the tempo sometimes because yeah bust that charcuterie board out and then you, know, you smoke your joint beforehand and you're like oh, I'm just gonna do a little bit of this and then soon you're mm-hmm. like what yeah. have I done can I gonna <laughs> be okay and for me it is okay I can hand I can handle a bag of tempo but I don't know some of you slow down but probably it's not me
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm five two and do not have that kind of tolerance <laughs> I <laughs> um, look forward to
2: all these beautiful products being available to you I know. in New York
1: as well soon. We can't wait either. We're coming for you. The California brands are coming for you. Oh, we are so excited. (laughs) So excited. Well, Tamika, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. It is so empowering to see a woman of color just, like, own her cannabis journey as an entrepreneur and be so open and giving about your experience. Like, I don't know. uh, I don't know about you, Alexis. I'm super inspired.
0: I feel like I can go run shit now. And and now I just want to smoke for the rest of the day and and drink (laughs) This Bico Consumption yeah. Lounge. It's probably going to be in Bed yeah. Brooklyn, coming pretty soon. Listening yeah. to Erica Badu, yes. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah,
2: I can't wait. I can't wait. And anytime you ladies are in L.A., please hit me up so we can hang out.
1: Yeah, the Biko Challenge. Too. We
2: can talk about that. The whole love time. that.
1: Um, and for our <laughs> listeners who want to connect with you, what is the best way to reach you and find you? You can find me on
2: Instagram at Tamika Drew, and you can find us at Bico Flower on Instagram as well. And you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn. If you have any questions about social equity licensing or what might be happening in your particular area, feel free to hit me up. I'm happy to do a little bit of research and answer any of your specific questions. I really like leaning in and, and helping out any
1: way that I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tamika, for your time today and wishing you all the best.
2: Much appreciation to both of you, Alexis and Chelsea. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again for listening to High Priority. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Antoine Dry, Donald Edwards, and Jim Pryor from Dirty Soap Entertainment for our intro music. To learn more about our show and parent company, Matteo Communications, head on over to our website at matteo.com. That's M A T T I O.com.